Are you good with people? Maybe you're organized or have a knack for numbers. Well, then chances are you've got skills that could lead to a new career. A Google Career Certificate can help you get a foot in the door with top employers in fast-growing fields like IT support, project management, data analytics, and user experience design. It's professional-level training developed and taught by Google employees. And it's all online so you can learn around your schedule. Put your skills to work. Go to grow.google slash certificates. Hi, it's Jamie, progressive number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the... Hey, Jamie, it's me, Jamie. This is your daily pep talk. I know it's been rough going ever since people found out about your acapella group, Mad Harmony, but you will bounce back. I mean, you're the guy always helping people find coverage options with the Name Your Price tool. It should be you giving me the pep talk. Now get out there, hit that high note, and take Mad Harmony all the way to nationals this year! Sorry, it's pitchy. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hi, and welcome to The Pollsters. I'm Margie Omero, Democratic pollster. And I'm Kristen Soltis-Anderson, Republican pollster. And each week we bring you the polls driving the news in politics, tech, and pop culture. So I have a new gig. You are not just Democratic pollster Margie Omero anymore. I know, I know. Sorry I was being shady, you know, <laughs> <laughs> like the Destiny's Child song. <laughs> um, I am now a partner at GBA Strategies, and that is a Democratic polling firm. stands for Gerstein, Bosian, and Agni. Uh, guys, I've known for a long time and a really fantastic team. This is my first week. It's super exciting. And thank you to all the lovely notes and tweets and Facebook notes from everybody. It was so great. The reaction was so great. And it's a super great, talented group of folks. Um, and, and you went up to Harvard this week. I went, wait, but hold on before I get oh, to that. Okay. So, because I do want to talk about that. But um, yeah, it's been a good week. So, uh, but I, so when they announced it to the staff, do you know what the staff said? We all listen to the pollsters. Hey, That's great. Hello, guys. <laughs> so that was pretty cool. And there was one person who is LSU. He's like an LSU. So I guess that means there's like a thing. I don't speak football. Is there like a Gators LSU thing? Is that like a rivalry? Uh, well, they beat us for homecoming this year, and it was really sad. But everything about Gator football is sad, and we just fired our coach, and it was a whole thing. So, so we were talking Anyhow. about like what's a bigger – you know, op- like what's a bigger rivalry, you know, Democrat versus Republican or LSU Gator, you know, and I said, well, I don't, you know, I don't really tr- try to make assumptions about people's identities, you know, they can speak for themselves. <laughs> but based on the public comments, I think Kristen's Gator identity is like stronger right now <laughs> than, uh, than a Republican. Yes. But you can make your own interpretation again. I'm not I'll put it this way. Assumption. When Republicans win elections, I don't text my Democratic friends to troll them. Well, that's unless nice of you. they're like that makes really you... asking for it, and they've been obnoxious. Well, then, then maybe I would, but then... I will absolutely <laughs> troll text my friends from other SEC schools. Or in the case of my friend Mary Catherine, who is my favorite University of Georgia fan. Um, I texted her a picture. I was in Vegas last weekend right. for a speech, but and I'm not a big gambler, but I went and I put $20 down on the Gators winning. Right. And Vegas knew it wasn't going to happen, so they're like, yeah, we'll give you $100 back for your 20 <laughs> if the Gators win. And I was like, cool, mom wants some, mom wants like, some fancy I think dinner ha- tonight. I think Let's this go. is how this works. <laughs> I'm going to get 100 bucks. Uh, nope, Vegas took my 20 Nope, they, they got to keep it. Um... So, Always play but I had Jack. texted her it's a picture of, of my of my 
ticket from the sports book. Which I wish I could have pulled that text back. Fantastic. <laughs> so you are, you are. So I think the theme of the story is always play blackjack and to. Oh, I like craps better. Craps has fact, the statistically best bet you can make in the casino. I thought it's blackjack if you know what you're doing. If you, you know, split aces and eights and double down when you're supposed to. So there is a bet in craps where it is the only bet in the casino where the casino will pay you the statistically appropriate odds for the risk of your bet based on like the rolls of the dice and what have you that it is you bet behind the pass line it's yeah. like you make a little bet and you make yeah. a bigger bet behind yeah. it and that is the best bet you can make in the casino it's called odds and so casinos will uh, advertise oh we offer like 100 times odds you can stick 100 ch- chips behind i mean not 100 whatever yeah all of which is to say, I thought that just was like a generic. Like we have great odds. Like I didn't know that was like specifically. It, me- it means that the casino mm. will let you bet a boatload on the behind the pass line stuff. Hmm. Okay. Well, you know what? Invite Kristen and I to come to Vegas, gamb- and we will really test this all out. <laughs> I I made like four bucks on the slot machine at the Somebody airport. Invite us it. to Vegas. <laughs> okay. So. Um, I will talk a little bit about my trip to Vegas. I mean, not Vegas, Boston, sorry, Boston. and Definitely the opposite of Vegas. Definitely the opposite, although it was raucous at times. And I had a friendly disagreement with Mark Penn about qualitative. So when we talk about qualitative, we have like, there's a qualitative report we didn't get to last week. So we could talk about that and we talk about the role of qualitative and how important it is. But first, what are the top lines? There's a lot of news. There's a lot of news. Uh, Kristen indulged me with an oldie song. And this week's top lines. Some people decided to take the money, but they couldn't run far. The FBI eventually caught them. We will talk about the latest controversies in Trump land and whether or not it is having an effect on the president's job approval ratings. Spoiler alert. We don't know. It's too soon to tell. But we will also talk about Mr. 38% and uh, how America is feeling about democracy in general. Then speak your mind or don't. It turns out people of all political persuasions have some things they'd rather you not say or do. We'll look at Cato's, the Cato Institute's free speech survey. The Commonwealth of Virginia has an election coming up next week, and the polls are crazy. We will talk about what's going on there. There's some in-depth qualitative research on abortion that's come out that's very interesting. We'll talk about it. And there are more harassment stories that keep coming, and so do the polls on this issue. So we'll dive into that. This is the theme of my Halloween costume, but we'll get to that. What? Yeah, I know. It's all right. It's a whole whole story. I know. I'm telling you. Well, and then uh, the last polls will be about Halloween. Now I'm like, I'm, I can't wait to get to the end of the show to hear about this. <laughs> but first, let's talk about the poll of the week, which I saw on Twitter on my way back home to tape this, the trolley problem. So, Mark, yeah. you had heard of the trolley problem. Yes, before. the trolley problem. So it, have you read, I don't I, now I forget his name, Michael Sandel. Is that the name of the Harvard professor mm-hmm. who does these incredible lectures and these incredible books? And so he talks about the trolley problem. You've seen folks talk about it's a way to kind of think through the ethics of how do you make decisions about what's right and who to save? Is it okay to kill one person to save five more. Yeah, basically. in the trolley problem, it sets up two examples of like, and asks people to consider what would they do in this hypothetical situation. So 
Uh, and our good friends at Huffington Post Pollster have posed these scenarios to their respondents and gotten answers. So scenario number one is you are on a runaway trolley hurtling down a track toward five people who are unable to move away. You can pull a lever that will divert the trolley down another track, and there is just one person on that other track. Do you pull the lever? And a majority of people say yes. 34% say definitely. 30% say probably. Men are slightly more likely than women to say definitely. Uh, older people are much more likely than younger people. That's a pretty big difference, Big right? difference to say definitely versus probably. Why do you think that is? Um, I wonder, I mean, the, the kids these days and moral ambiguity, I don't know. Um, hmm. uh, unclear. It, it is interesting. Right. Um, and then they also find that conservatives much more likely than liberals, which, again, I don't know if that's because of age or because of political ideology or both, but that conservatives are much more like, heck yes, pull the lever. Save the five people. If you are over 65, are you thinking more of like life and death situations and calculations? And does that affect – we don't know the answer. Maybe. But. Whereas if you're young, you're like, man, I have to live the rest of my life knowing that I pulled this lever and it killed someone. Because so that's part of the moral ambiguity right. question is on the one hand, by pulling the lever, you are taking an act that saves five people. Right. But you are also becoming a more active participant in an action that is resulting in the end of human life. And so so then the interesting part is then the trolley problem has a second phase, which is, okay, now assume you are on a trolley that is hurtling down a track toward five people. You can stop the trolley, but this time it's by pushing a man next to you in front of the track. So on the one hand, the argument is, well, it's functionally the same. You're killing one person to save five. But it is a different mechanism of action. Instead of like you pull a lever and it takes it down another track, this is like you shove someone in front of it. And here, far fewer people say they would take that action. A majority say they would probably or definitely not. Right. Even though it has the same the results, it's just the mechanism. One it's person still dies, five people still live, but the, the mechanism of doing so, people feel much Fascinating. more. Fascinating. And people use this structure, right, for to have conversations about abortion. Would you save five embryos in a uh, IVF clinic? In order to say, would you, you know, kill five embryos in order to save a live child, right? As a way to kind of have this similar conversation. Yeah, there's an interesting response from, um, so th this debate played out on social media over the last few weeks. And there was a, an interesting response from a guy at the Federalist who said, like, the trolley problem is really interesting because you can also adjust it to say, okay, let's say a runaway trolley is hurtling down a track toward five people. You can stop the trolley, but like your child is on the other track, like, then what do you do? And most people, even if you acknowledge that like every human life is sacred, you save your own kid. It Like most people just right. you do that. And so our actions and what we would do in a situation like this don't always line up perfectly with like what our ideal like, oh, well, every human life is sacred and you should always save five people instead of one. Like our actions wouldn't match that in like horrifying right. circumstances. Right. So anyhow, I'd never seen it poll tested, but on my way over, I saw that Ariel Edwards Levy had. And by the way, when it comes to pushing the dude in front of the tracks, the ideological difference goes away. So now that we've talked about pushing people in front of train tracks, let's talk about, uh, let's talk about the president. <laughs> and what's going on with uh, some of some of his advisors are getting pushed in front of the train tracks, yeah. or they push themselves. Yeah. So, or you know, he's themselves. now Mr. 39%, right? And in his approval rating. Gallup had a new low in Gallup. You had a lot of folks kind of 
you know, talking about his new ratings being worse. Um, you had this interesting Washington Post, University of Maryland poll about asking people about how they felt about how democracy is working and whether they think, are we functionally, function, are we a basically functional society or are we not functional? And a variety of questions along those kinds of dynamics. They're more big picture than little picture, right? You know, are we, is this dangerous? Is this a temporary dangerous situation or is this a new normal? And however you slice it, the numbers are not good. You have majorities feeling really very negative about this. And what was also interesting is how this actually cut across party lines. You have majorities of Republicans worried in a lot of ways, similarly to Democrats. Democrats more worried, but you have Republicans worried too. Um, you had a majority of Americans feeling that this was at least as bad as during Vietnam. I mean, the numbers are bad. I mean, it's not simply just sort of folks who follow this and talk about it, who are worried about it, who are activists who feel this anxiety. These numbers, I think, had a very, painted a very clear picture. Yeah. So one of the things that I'm looking for now is there's this question about, do you believe that the divisions now are, um, at least as big as they were during the Vietnam War, yeah. or are they smaller than they were then? And I am really interested to see if I can get my hands on this information divided out by age. Oh, I think they did that. Because I would assume, like, it's easy for someone my age to say, like, this feels insane. And But I wasn't around during the time of the Vietnam War. I wasn't around during the time when, like, there were riots in the streets and, like, I mean, and protests on campus where, like, kids were being shot by the cops for protesting yeah. the war. And, like, so... So I, do you think younger people would think it's worse? My guess is that younger people would think it's worse. Yes. And you were right. If you okay. look it up, that's what... Ha- and it, they didn't do, like, young, young people, but people who were not alive during Vietnam. And... Those folks were more likely to say this is worse than people who were alive during Vietnam. Interesting. But that could also be party too because older people are going to be more Republican and maybe they're like, you know, give the guy a chance. It's not so bad. Sure, sure. But then, you know, I do think that it's interesting that even when I've done focus groups, which qualitative is great as we will emphasize throughout the show. (laughs) Qualitative is wonderful. Um, you know, when I ask people, how are you feeling about how things are going, whether it's a Republican or a Democratic group, people are like, it feels so divisive. Everybody feels so angry all the time. I yeah. feel like I'm losing friends. This feels so unpleasant. It feels like these wounds are never going to heal. Now, for very different reasons, which when we get to yeah. the Cato poll, we can dive into some of that. But um, yeah, it, to me, it, I, I would assume that if you didn't live through the Vietnam War, it's just harder to have a good comparison. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, I, there doesn't really seem to be any chance of it getting better, at least based on the news right now. I mean, there isn't like brand spanking this week polling from, you know, post indictment, but there is fairly recent polling where you have a lot of folks who feel that uh, Trump advisors, like Manafort, et cetera, uh, were act, likely acting improperly. I mean, I think a lot of this is going to be driven by party rather than, you know, an awareness of who all these people are. Um, but nonetheless, it's still, you know, I guess, I don't know if it's a baseline. It's not really a baseline, but it's something that we'll have to track and see how it changes. This is for a morning console in Politico where you have, you know, 
a plurality feel that Donald Trump probably acted inappropriately. You have a, a plurality think that Donald Jr. acted inappropriately. A plurality, well, I guess not a plurality if you look at no opinion, but more thinking he, uh, Jared Kushner acted inappropriately than inappropriately. And all the way down the list, really, there aren't that many people who are seen as sort of off the hook other than Ivanka Trump, Mike Pence, and Kellyanne Conway. And a lot of them, what's interesting is uh, Paul Manafort, he was one where the the biggest answer was don't know, no opinion. That it seems like prior to this poll being taken, a majority of people did not really even know who Paul Manafort was. Right. Well, he I mean, was the campaign manager during the convention, but a lot of people don't don't know that. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think that number like makes sense to me, like half. I think that, you know, that number seems reasonable to me. He was not like a regular presence on TV. So he's the subject of stories, you know? So yeah. I think that makes a lot of sense to me. Anyway. Well, let's talk about this Cato poll. This is yeah. the one that I think made the biggest waves this week. So Emily Eakins, friend of the show, she is uh, a... I think a fabulous researcher. Um, she's at the Cato Institute and does a lot of projects on uh, where where people stand on big issues. And one thing that I love about polls that she writes, questionnaires that she does, is that she's really big on trying to do trade-offs. Like it's very easy to write a survey where you say, uh, would you support or oppose a policy that would give every American child a puppy or a kitten of their choice? And you'd be like, yes, puppies and kittens are great. And she always tries to like, Say, okay, well, what's the trade-off then? Right. You know, what? okay, if we're giving everyone a puppy and a kitten, then, like, what's the other thing that happens so that – and so I always love that about her questionnaires. And one of the things that, that Cato is really focused on, being a libertarian think tank, is free speech. And whether it's free speech from the left or free speech from the right, defending people's rights to say what they want. Um and, and Tony Fabrizio on my panel, by the way, said that the libertarians, that's where liberal Republicans are now hanging out, basically. That was how. Well, that's kind of always where they've hung out, yeah. right? And we, and a few weeks ago, we talked on that about the, uh, oh gosh, that voter study group thing where when you split people into the different yeah. quadrants, like there's no one down in the socially progressive but economically conservative bucket. Like I know all of them. They're every one of those data points. I'm at least three degrees of friendship away from on Facebook for sure. Yeah. So anyway, um, so that was uh, that was the world according to Tony. Um, yeah. So I mean, I thought this survey was super interesting. They has there's a it's a, it's pretty long. So there's a lot in here about like different kinds of speech and what should be allowed or not allowed. Is this appropriate? Is that not is that appropriate? Both levels of types of speech or policies or what. Pe people should be fired for or not fired for. Um, and so, uh, you know, I thought it was pretty interesting. There were some, I had some quibbles with some of the, and one, you know, I guess before we do the quibbles, I mean, I think people like what was interesting about this is that people were kind of all over the place. If you look at the overall, like these things are not allowed. These things are fireable offenses. Th these proposals are not like people had very conflict. It was not like all of America was on one side of these sure. debates. They had like, you know, if you looked at sort of where the center was, it was really kind of all over the place in terms of what should be allowed. Hate speech is not good. No one people is a free should be fired. Yeah. Everybody's like free speech is great my when speech. it's my speech and right. free speech is bad when it's your speech. Right. That's what the survey really finds. Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, but I did have some quibbles. They at, like tested, and it was interesting because I haven't seen this kind of work before about microaggressions and are these microaggressions offensive and microaggressions are like, you know, 
small, like small-ish, relatively small offensive things that people can do and say. And so they tested a variety of microaggressions. They didn't call them microaggressions in this particular battery, but that was what they were called in the analysis. And there were things like telling a racial minority, you are a credit to your race, which uh, two-thirds of African-Americans said, yes, that is offensive. But then some of these other things on this list are not I would not – like if you had to generate a list of what people on the left would think of as a microaggression, these would not make it. Like America is the land of opportunity saying that. Not many people thought it was a microaggression, but it wouldn't make it to the list. Saying only, America is a melting pot, et cetera. Well, and saying America is a melting pot was considered offensive by one out of four Latino respondents yeah. on the survey. So – but – so this – I – I will confess, I if you listen to the show, you know I enjoy playing video games. So the South Park guys, who are right. always pretty big advocates of free speech and also kind of lampoon all sides of the aisle, yep. they have a new video game out where – so there's a character on the show, PC Principal. He's just the frattiest frat guy, but he's always like making the kids like, you can't do that, that's offensive. Right. And in the game, he teaches you like there is a, a, a mini game where he's like – if I have a micro, if I microaggress against you, you can hit me. And so he says various <laughs> things like, you're wearing a blue shirt today and you're not allowed to hit him. But then when he says something like, like if he says something that is a microaggression, then you, then it like, like what are microaggression you? No, comes up on the screen. Where are you really you from? Can, yeah. But there's, yeah, th- wait, that sort of thing. So the, I just, you know, it's okay to have like a lengthy list, but I think there were things that should have been in this list if we really wanted to explore them. Like, you know, where are you really from? You know, or, yeah. um, you know, well, like I'm, you speak English. Well, I guess you speak English pretty well. And actually, actually it was, you know, like high up on the list or, you don't you don't look white or things like that, that I think would have made this list a little bit more reflective of what folks on the left think of as microaggressions. I, you know, I don't know about this, this list I think would not, I mean, it, you know, you can see it in the data that they did not rise to the top in terms of being offensive. So that was one. And then there was another thing with, um, Politically correct. Where was the political? There was like a politically correct question. Like, is politically being political? Maybe it was in a. Well, they have. Um, it, it's how familiar it are Americans and college students with social justice terms yeah. and phrases? And so, are you familiar with the term safe spaces? Yeah. Colleges, college and grad students are most people not really. Are you familiar with trigger warnings? Most college students are. Most other people are not. Cultural appropriation. Check your privilege. Uh, and then mansplaining and microaggressions were not as well known by college Mansplaining students. is like a relatively recent thing. Yes. I don't think that it's totally – I mean, the survey data suggests that it is not particularly Ooh. mainstream. That's your computer. Oh, sorry. <laughs> That's okay. Decline. Okay, I'm going to put that on mute because my phone is ringing and it made my computer ring. Okay, we can go back and – No, no, no. Okay. Mansplaining is fairly recent, though. But yeah. I, I've yeah. heard of manspreading as well. Manspreading, yes. And that bothers me a lot. Yes. Keep your legs to yourself, people. Yeah, no kidding. Take up the space that you are allowed to take up. Yeah, I mean, look. Get out of my business. You know, I, I think <laughs> I think the survey does a good job trying to explore some areas that are not usually explored. And, I, you know, I think the, you know, series of what speakers should not be allowed to speak is interesting. I mean, there's a lot in here that I think is worthwhile. Uh, you know, I just, you know, it, it to me, if 
it was no surprise that this was written like with a perspective of the right. So I felt like maybe it to really fully see like what would be offensive or non offensive to folks on the left, there maybe would need to be a little bit more addition or fleshing out what folks on the left think of as you know, offensive. There was this one thing which you guys schooled me at, at Team Echelon about this proposal. Um, the one proposal that was tested in this poll is um, requiring Americans to use transgender people's preferred gender pronoun, which, like, I had never heard of that as a proposal, but I guess it is a proposal. And I'm in not New quite York City sure. And in California, and it's it's narrowly tailored, but it's one of those things where. You know, you'll hear social conservatives say they want to throw us in jail for not using the right pronouns. And you can, and it's easy to go like, okay, you guys are gone too far. But there are instances where this has been tried in the yeah. same way that like I would say, okay, who, you know, you could see a Republican going, nobody's trying to ban mosques. But th- certainly if you go look at state legislatures, there are, yes. there are legislators who will put up bills for – and these things have near major- majority or near majority support within – yeah. Political parties. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, it, it, it is interesting. And, it, you know, I mean, what was particularly interesting is sort of the bottom line is there is quite a lot here that people want to see repercussions for. <laughs> that yeah. was like the bottom line. <laughs> so anyway, go check it out. That is Cato Institute and we will link to it. Well, the, the one other finding oh, yeah. that I wanted to, to flag was there's this, uh, they have an, a whole battery of, um, if a speaker is coming to campus and they are saying X, Y, or Z, should they be, should they be allowed to speak or not? And a concern on the right is when speakers will stand up and say, like, so one of the options here is says all white people are racist. Right. And it was actually more Democrats than Republicans who did say that somebody who says that should not be allowed to speak on campus, which surprised me. I figured given the... Uh, given the like, oh, people who say offensive things shouldn't speak, but only if they're offensive to my side. Mm-hmm. I mean, the gap certainly closes. That is one of the things that, although for even among Republicans, more 46% say you shouldn't be allowed to speak if you're going to publicly reveal illegal immigrants attending the college. Um, and on both sides, they say that you should not be allowed to speak if you are advocating for violent protests. Right. I mean, I guess, you know, it, are there, I mean, maybe it's the phrasing of some of these things, both on the left and the right, that seem very strident. I guess that's, it's designed to test where people's boundaries are. Like, mm-hmm. you know, is there someone going around the college campus circuit saying all white people are racist? All of them? You know, is there somebody who says we should not let any, uh, you know, any Muslims in the country, period, full stop? You know, are there folks who are, say, I mean, I guess there are, there are, but I mean, is that really like, isn't that a little bit farther than where these debates are? I hope. I, I hope. I, oh, maybe not. I don't. I mean, look, maybe there I'm are not. a lot of colleges and universities in America. There are a lot of people with very uh, niche areas that yeah. they study. I'm sure you could find examples of all of these things. I'm sure if we asked Emily, there there is an instance of each of these things having caused a controversy on a college campus. That would not surprise me at all. So anyhow, people like free speech for themselves, <sighs> not for others. Okay. <laughs> we've talked about pushing people in front of trolleys yes nobody likes free speech yeah uh let's talk about virginia <laughs> okay <laughs> let's talk about the commonwealth and some very festive polling that is coming out of uh the commonwealth of virginia so this week 
Uh, Quinnipiac put out a poll showing that they believe Democratic candidate Ralph Northam will win by 17 points. This comes after last week. We talked about the Hampton University poll showing Gillespie winning by eight points. So maybe he's up by 17. Maybe he's down by eight. And the Washington Post Shar School came out with a poll around the same time that shows Northam up five. And so Quinnipiac had already been an outlier with Northam up by 14 in their last poll, which I think we talked about last week. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, they're sticking with consistent methodology. They've shown Northam gain three using consistent methodology, but the polls are not hurting. People are not suppressing data that uh, diverges from the norm. Yeah. And so Steve Shepard. Which is good. So Steve Shepard, who listens to the show, hello, he puts together, you know, he wrote a piece and you could look at it and it goes through the different um, methodology that everybody used, RDD versus voter file. And why does this matter? Because you're talking about an odd year election, which is going to have lower turnout than a midterm or presidential year, even though folks in Virginia are, you know, trained. This is not a special election. This happens, um, you know, every four years. There's a gubernatorial odd year and the other odd years there's legislative races. Um, so Virginians know to expect it. Nonetheless, it's going to have lower turnout because you're just turning out for this uh, state level race. Um, and so using RDD or random digit dial, which is where you pull numbers from an area where there are lots of residences. You don't know, you know, who exactly lives in that house and whether or not they're a voter versus a voter file, which is a list that comes from that says, okay, here's Margie. She lives at this address and she has voted before. And this is when she registered to vote. And this is how old she is. And we think she's a female and her age is X and here's her phone number. Um, that's what a voter file is able to do. And so what, the, what Steve has pointed out and it's important to remember, particularly, you know, for lots of elections, but particularly for these lower turnout elections, the importance of using voter file. It's not that RDD is wrong or that it's always bad or what have you. It's, you know, it's been around for a zillion years and there's a clear utility for it. I think for a lower turnout Virginia election like this, you want to have a voter file. Yes. Especially since voter – now, voter files have their own downsides. It's not like voter files are perfect because if you move around a lot, so you move from one place to another, you're, you know, sort of less stable in terms of your address and phone number, then you may not be captured in the voter file. Even if you are a voter and likely to vote, you just may, you know, it just may be harder to get your updated information. So a voter file is going to skew a little bit older – and whiter likely than the actual voting population. There are some just things about the voter file, you know, how it's, how often it's updated. It's a, how well it's kept depends from state to state. It's not a national thing. It, it depends on how things work in, in the board of elections and the secretary of state in each state and even in some individual locations. So, so voter files have some challenges too, but, um, but for a lower turn election, voter file usually has the advantage over RDD. So someone from my firm, Victor, uh, got a mailer from the Center for Voter Information. And it's one of those like pressure mailers that says like, we have your vote history. We um, know how much you voted. We know how much everyone else in your household has voted. So you better go vote because we're watching, you know, but it, it kind of yeah. like says it in as, uh, as diplomatic a way as they can to like scare you, but not hopefully get sued. Um, but in Victor's case, he's from California 
so his voter history does not show him as being an active Virginia voter, which is why some of these national databases, the Democratic Party has one, Republican Party has one, tries to merge all this stuff up. So they'd go, oh, Victor in California is the same as the Victor who's now moved to Virginia. So let's match it up. He actually is a likely voter um, instead of, you know, this thing that he got, which basically said, Oh, Victor, you don't vote, but we're watching. Yeah. <laughs> just like so I... The challenge of voter files, to your yes. point, is they're not all... Just like we never got any mail at my house for all those Maryland primaries, for the Maryland Senate primary and the Maryland Congressional primary, those like massive primaries. And uh, we got no mail because we had only had like one year or so of primary vote history in because we had just moved to Maryland like three years before. And so we had no mail. I was like, seriously... We had like one piece of mail from one candidate. I'm like, really? Like, <laughs> yeah. once you know how the sausage Why? is made, it's so kind of like. Why a are weird, you not? <laughs> it's a weird, fun sport to make judgments about like the targeting operations based on. Oh, yeah. Did my friend, like, I have one friend who is very, uh, very pro life Catholic who got a mailer from like Ed Gillespie wants to take away. And she was like, um,. I, the Planned Parenthood mailer, I'm probably the wrong audience yeah. for that. You know, I mean, so that it just happens. It, it just happens. happens. Republicans do it too. They're uh, Patrick, uh, who works with me at Echelon, he was joking that I guess a couple mailers showed up at his house, and one of them was like the like soft focus, like Ed Gillespie wants to like work together with people from across the aisle, and he's like, oh, they must have someone in my house pegged as like a rhino squish, you know, who needs, who wants like we're going to send Republicans focus. in Northern Virginia, <laughs> the soft Ed Gillespie. <laughs> Everybody else gets tough Ed Gillespie. Gets MS thirteen Ed Gillespie. Um, yeah, yeah. So it's anyhow the the voter file not perfect but the the rdd process may also mean you're just randomly calling virginia phone numbers which let's take victor for example i don't actually know his phone number off the top of my head but it's probably a california number and if we you know? did we would not victor i'm not going to dox you on the show, <laughs> dox you on the show. but but you know it's probably uh, my phone number is a florida phone number right i have had it since i was 18 if you know it please don't ruin it i really don't i've had it almost half my life i don't yes, want to lose this number but um, you know, I wouldn't get caught in a an RDD survey for the DMV area, right? Because I look by my phone like I'm a Floridian. Yes. So anyway, check all that stuff. All those things are important. It's not simply you know statistics. That's where the sampling comes in. It's super important. And speaking of Virginia, there's also a Washington Post poll that. Talked a little bit about race and what's the role of race. It's going to be something on people's minds looking at this uh, race and campaign. And they asked an interesting question in the past few years. Have you had a frank conversation about issues related to racial equality or prejudice with someone who is African-American or white? They have, you know, they had a couple different combinations and majority said yes. So it, it it's interesting line of questions. It's one of these kinds of areas, just like with some of the other stuff we were talking about, where you are asking people these kind of big picture questions, but you don't know what, what are those conversations about, you know? So it, it's pretty interesting. So we'll see how that. And they also asked some questions about uh, the Confederate monuments question, which is, you know, front and center in this race. Um, and 57% of those surveyed said that in Virginia, they think monuments to leaders from the Confederacy um, should be kept on government properly, kept on government property. 
um, that they, they do not, 59% do not think that displaying these monuments defends slavery, and 63% thinks that displaying Confederate monuments honors leaders who should be respected for their role in U.S. history. So these are some, I mean, again, when if this is a race that has come down to a lot of conversations about race, on the one hand, you've got all these polls showing that Northam is up. On the other hand... But are those vote drivers? Are or, or, sure. You know, we don't know. We don't know. Um, there could be people who say, yeah, you know, we should keep them. What's all the fuss about? But they're going to vote for Northam. Northam for whatever reason. Sure. Um, we don't know. Um, okay. So that's Virginia. Now let's talk a little bit about... This periundum thing. This periundum thing. Periundum does really interesting stuff, often on healthcare and women's issues. Are they? I looked at their client list. Are they? Are they, they're not like a partisan firm, but they, they are not. They, but they do work for like Center for American Progress, and you know, they, I think they've. You know, they are nonpartisan, but I think they probably have some blue leaning clients in their list. But they are nonpartisan, and so the, you know, they've done a lot of stuff on women's health. They've done some stuff for Vox that has informed some interesting Vox stories on women, the role of women. And they did this deck on abortion, which I just thought was really interesting. We shared it in our feed. Lots of people really responded to it. And, um, you know, and we'll link to it. People can dig into it. But one of the things that I thought was worth highlighting was how the, like the amount of information that people had. And that's something that I think is crucial when you think about focus groups and what you hope to gain out of focus groups that people felt, you know, I, you, you had a lot of people unsure how many women had abortions or what the different laws and different efforts to change and tighten the, the restrictions around abortions and what those were like. There were a lot of people who just weren't really sure and had low information about what, what the political climate around abortion was like. And that is a finding. And so this is one of the topics that I, you know, brought up on the Harvard panel is that when you go and talk to folks in a focus group, if they don't know what you're talking about, that's a finding. It doesn't mean like you – that they're dumb or that you need to ask the question differently or the recruit's bad or you need to like arm wrestle them until they like give yeah. up, you know, <laughs> give up some answer of like something that they know. How dare you not have an opinion? <laughs> and so that that's a finding that you need to know and assess and – you know, sometimes you, you know, they may give you an answer in a, in a closed ended question. That doesn't mean they have a lot of, you know, depth to the, to their awareness of your issue. And so that's, you know, one of the important jobs of qualitative and you can see it in the periundum deck, but you could see it in, in lots of different qualitative work. Now, lots of people don't release qualitative work like this. So this is unusual. People release quantitative results and people are looking at, you know, who's up three points or what percent thinks Trump is X and what's his approval rating and so on and so forth. The qualitative piece is just as important to really getting a sense of where people are coming from and how they're making these decisions, um, how they're evaluating the news that they get and so on. And this is where I had a bit of a disagreement with Mark Penn, who said that he didn't, you know, he didn't find qualitative particularly useful. Maybe he was just trying to provide some kind of interesting contrast or push off what I was saying for some reason. But, you know, he said that when he was working with Hillary Clinton in 08, I believe, um, uh, or I believe it was that campaign that he, you know, tried to end all focus groups. And that's probably, I, I don't think that's, you know, that's, I imagine that that's 
a bit of an exaggeration, I don't know, but it, it, you know, it was interesting that he thought that focus groups were really not very reliable because, and this is valid, this does happen. People will, you'll hear a stray comment here or a stray comment there. And it's hard to take some of these comments at face value because on the flip side of a lack of awareness being a finding, if you have someone say, well, I just vote against the person who runs any negative ads or, you know, if I, lo- I look who's watching negative ads and I vote against that person or I go to the library and I do research the day before I go cram, you know, check the record or, you know, um, uh, uh, you know, I don't listen to anything I see on Facebook, et cetera, et cetera. And these are things that, you know, or why doesn't a campaign candidate just come out and say, look, I'm sorry. I don't really know the answers. I don't know how to do this. I'm just, you know, going to be honest with you. Like I've heard that a lot in focus groups and people don't ultimately want that. Right. So, so that's a fair point that people will volunteer things that they think you want to hear or that they want to believe about themselves, but aren't necessarily their decision-making process. But that doesn't mean that focus groups don't provide some useful texture to where people are coming from. And I will say, you know, I think focus groups, so like I was reading through this Perry Undom report, and it's very interesting. And it they basically do six focus groups. They talk to Trump female voters, or female Trump voters who think abortion should be illegal, and a group of Trump female voters who think abortion should be legal, um, Clinton women voters who feel abortion should be legal, Trump men who, I mean, so it's like all these different combinations. And in their focus groups, they have one group of Trump voters who are women who think abortion should be illegal. And they do this group in Dallas, Texas. Right. And that group is like, and that group is like very, like they're very pro-life. They don't, they're not even fans of many exceptions. Yeah. And then the Trump men who are pro-life, they do that focus group in Alexandria, Virginia. And frankly, reading through it, I was like, I don't actually think these are, these, these do not sound like pro-life men to whom I have ever spoken. I mean, Mm -hmm. there are many men out there who have these views, but I wouldn't call them representative of men, men who are pro-life. Because if you look at the polling, men, you know, Republican men are much further to the right on a lot of these issues than Republican women. Right. And so part of it, it's the geography is different right. here. Alexandria, Virginia and Dallas, Texas might look a little bit different. So it's that is a challenge of qualitative. Is If all you had was this project, you would think that Republican men – are pretty moderate and pretty in the middle of the road, whereas Republican women are like really, really, really strongly pro-life. I don't think – I think there's a lot of other quantitative data that suggests that's not true. Right. That doesn't mean this isn't valuable. Hearing – you know, there are instances where when talking to these men about abortion, you know, watching their views change as different things are presented. So it was interesting to read. I mean, right. I, the, part of why I flagged, I was like, I think they work – you know, like I, when I looked at their client list, like Planned Parenthood and stuff is included in there. I don't think that they had a thumb on the scale in this research, though. I, st- I think it's interesting. Um, but that was one thing that I was like, I don't know that this is actually accurately explaining what pro-life men in the Republican Party think. Right. Well, I guess, you know, it is the goal, I guess, you know, is the goal to look at the full range of all the views that are out there or is the goal to say like, here's what the, you know, middle of the road on a quote unquote middle of the road on abortion views, you know, views and what they think and how might they be moved one way or the other, you know, uh, I I hear that. And the, that Dallas women's group seems so far to the right of everything else. And, you know, I I agree. I don't know how changing that up might have gotten different results, but still the, you know, this is not meant to say 
this X percent of P- of pro-life men think X. Right. It's more to say, look, people come into this, you know, we've been at, you know, people ask pro-life, pro-choice questions for a zillion years and these are the answers that people get, but are they really, you know, what kind of awareness do people have? And that, that I think is, is particularly illustrative and probably does transcend a lot of party lines too mm-hmm. and regional lines. Yeah. So for instance, I mean, they found that in almost every group, regardless of where you voted in for president or how you felt about abortion, there was confusion around federal activities and what is going on in this right. area that a lot of people didn't know about, you know reducing access to birth control or teen prevent pregnancy prevention funds. Like they, people don't know what's going on with those issues. And so, you know, when they explain what's going on with those issues, hearing people's reactions to your point, just because they didn't know about that coming into the right. group does not make it not valuable. Right. It's very valuable. If you're not sending a note to the back room, like where do these people come from? I don't, you know, I need a new, what happened to this recruit though? That's a finding. Um, so anyway, sexual harassment, another, Gender topic in the news. I've been feeling so much rage about all of these stories. Like, I mean, I can't even, I can't even contain myself. Like, I'm so mad about it. And, uh, and so many of them. And I mean, new ones today, you know, there was like more today and yesterday. I mean, there was like a one about, um, Dustin Hoffman that happened that mm-hmm. I heard about today. Anyway, so my Halloween costume, I was the gender avenger because, I didn't like – that was the only thing I had in my mind. That was it. And so there is an actual, like, Twitter handle. There's, like, a group of gals, and they are. They call themselves Gender Avengers. And, like, if you have an all-male panel, they'll, like, tweet it out and shame them for – like, there was one that was particularly funny. Like, like women's economic uh, development, a man's view. And it was four men, like, on some panel about, like, women's economic like economic. But that wasn't the title of the panel, Yes. Right? You know what? In a way, I'm almost – if you want to name your panel that, I'm I'm actually okay with it. It's when, like, you don't just come right out and say it and it's like, wait a minute, you really – like, it's – I actually think it's worse when you can't – when you just don't even think you need to do it instead yeah, of, like, you're you. intentionally being provocative or per- – Perhaps, perhaps. But it, anyway, so then they, they just – they ended that panel. So that, that was a uh, – Yeah, I, I imagine <laughs> that made, they would. That made the internet go a little cuckoo. Anyway, so those are the actual gender avengers. My gender avenger was just a Halloween costume, and so I am doing the signal boost as penance as a copyright payment. But um, I it was really fascinating because I – like, so I wore – like, I have a resist T-shirt. I had like a pink wig that I got at um at uh, CVS, and I had like sparkly shorts and high heel boots. And then like I made my I like all of a sudden I was like far more aware of like gender issues and even more than I normally am. And, and you know when you have like maybe this is an apnea, like over the course of Halloween where like you develop like an act around your costume, right? Yeah. So, like, by the end, like people were like, you know deliberately mansplaining so i'd be like pretending like gender venge is gonna get you, you know? <laughs> like, like people are trying to be provocative so i could like you know come Actually, to the rescue Margie. so i could come Actually. to the rescue yeah and so there were tons of um anyway so that was my gender venture costume and uh and my other favorite halloween costume which is not what we're talking about but we'll get there is um Mnuchin and Lady Mnuchin. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. <laughs> she had, like, all the hashtags, like, taped to her, like, white pants and, like... Of everything she's wearing. Yes. And um, 
And like wow. when she showed up, like not everybody knew immediately. I'm like, she was like, why am I wearing this costume? And I like walk in, I'm like, oh my God, it's the Mnuchin's. Like, <laughs> she was like, thank God. <laughs> Somebody knows what my costume is. <laughs> it was like, you know, blessed and whatever. Um, so anyway, Tom Ford and so on. She had like full blonde hair. It was fantastic. Anyway. Um, I, I did not wear a costume this year because I was out working yesterday. Aww. Well, I, when I, I, I was, I was flying back from San Francisco. I had a variety of meetings in Silicon Valley and in, in them, people were all wearing costumes. Like my first, one of the meetings, um, someone was like dressed like a kangaroo and was like, what are you dressed as a political consultant? And I was like, oh man, Boo. Like, wow. <laughs> oh boy. Uh, like, oh yeah, you got it, huh? <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. I'm, I'm not in DC. Clearly I'm, uh, and then, uh, someone else had a, like a costume that kind of looked like, uh, like their legs were like a monkey's legs. And like the monkey's face was kind of protruding from their abdominal region with like jeaned legs so it looked like a person riding on the back of a monkey yeah it was very interesting huh it was it was logistically look look like it would be complicated to yeah move i don't around. want i don't want to have a hard time moving around and i don't want to like have a hard time sitting i don't want to be like i don't want to be like you know like animals, full animal size. But I now have a, a, a little like notes doc on my phone of the 15 great costume ideas I've had over the last mm. week that I didn't get to execute. Yeah. Well, you can I don't take Gender Avenger. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it may not be your thing, but you know, you're welcome to it. It's totally fine. <laughs> I may be again next year. <laughs> well, I, we wouldn't want to duplicate. We wouldn't want to duplicate. Um, so then w- let's go to... Well, so for Halloween, the uh, other yeah. thing was uh, we... Chris was here. I was not. We had not prepared and gotten candy. And so Chris was struggling to find mm. a grocery store that had candy to give out yesterday because mm. we got on that a little late. Yeah, you got to do it a little bit before the last possible second. We had – we took the kids out. Well, I had to get – Beckett is – he didn't, he didn't really know what to do. So like the first few houses is just – it's such a weird thing where you're like, no, go up there and talk to that lady and get some candy. And, and he's like showing her – his candy. He's like, I have this candy. She's like, no, no, I'm going to give you candy. Anyway, so at first he was like, you, mommy, you go get candy and come back. I'm like, that's not how it works. You go get your, <laughs> like Donald Trump Jr. I'm like, go get your own candy. You got to work for it. You got to work for your candy. You don't get things for free, even though all you are doing is literally asking for candy for free. No, but it was, it was, he got the hang of it. It was very adorable. And he was like a little dinosaur and it was great. And they were like every, girl in Tacoma Park it was Wonder Woman. Maybe this is true around the country, but like they're coming for the patriarchy in Tacoma Park. <laughs> there were like 10-year-old guys dressed as like Trump with like ogre, an ogre under his jacket. I'm like, why is Trump like an ogre? He's like, well, have you ever seen Trump with his shirt off? You don't know what, he, what he's got. Wow. I'm like, good, good point. <laughs> good point, 11-year-old. Put that on your bucket list, Margie. <laughs> wow. Like, you're right. I have he not seen him with his days. shirt off. Anyway, kids so that's how we roll in Tacoma Park. It was pretty wild. Um, and you, by judging from the neighborhood and by the public polling, it looks like it was a bang-up Halloween you had oh we didn't even talk about the sexual harassment god i am really we skipped <laughs> we haven't even talked about- it stinks there's uh, lots of it nbc did a poll there's a lot of it uh women are more likely to say that it happens in most workplaces and if you are young college educated 
uh, you are the most likely to say you have personally experienced sexual harassment at work. But it's nearly half of all currently employed women. This is not the first poll that's shown. And almost no difference between Democrats and Republicans. Hmm. Republican women are not like, oh, no, this doesn't happen. No, no, it happens. We know. We know. Yeah, I mean, it's you have more saying that they think it happens than it happened to them, but not a massive difference, right? You have about two, you know, three-fourths of women roughly saying they think it happens at all or most places and about half of women who say that it's happened to them. So they speak from personal experience. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe not so much men. Big age gap with men, huh? Uh, yeah. Older well, men, less likely to think that it happens. Well, and also remember, I think that we have uh, different definitions. Remember, we played that weird ad from, not weird, but that ad from the 90s that was like viewing sexual harassment as the boss being like, hey, lady, you should dress up more attractively at work. Whereas, like, it is more than just that. Right. There's all kinds of things, right? It doesn't have to be that. Um, Speaking of... Being attractive, <laughs> we have a poll about dental anxiety. I, wow, I am struggling for I a transition I th- there. I think um, do I we think, just shut it down? I think we might. I think Halloween we, people well, are worried thing, about going to the, the dentist. The thing that was funny <laughs> about it. Well, one, I always feel pleased when somebody sends us something vaguely on point as a pitch. As we do like to, to reward PR people who kind of get it sort of right, right? <laughs> and so, but this was funny. Was that? You know, a third, I mean, not funny, but like kind of a crazy number. A third of young adults are reluctant to smile because of their teeth. Anyway, it just seemed like a a Halloween candy hook at the same time record spending on Halloween candy. Um, That was the tie. Yeah. By the way, I highly recommend to everybody who cares at all about Halloween candy that A, 538 did a data-driven ranking of the best Halloween candies. And what was at the top? Uh, Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. Mm. And then my favorite, not the Pollsters podcast, they did a whole episode where they basically did a draft, like a fantasy football draft of Mm. the candies. But they all, none of them picked Kit Kats, and so the whole thing is invalid in my view. You know, I mean, I have to, I have to, I go through, I went through all of my kids' candy in the morning before they woke up. So to take out all the nut things. So this Reese's oh, Peanut Butter Cups that's true. are on the no no fly zone for us. Yeah, that's that's true. They, that's a challenge. They go into Mama's secret stash. That's, oh, where, they okay. <laughs> that's where they go. So there is still an upside. There is still an upside. Got it, got it, got it. Yes, and we are trading in candy for toys this afternoon. That's what we're doing after recording this show. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. that's an interesting little little economy there. Yeah, so that's like the new thing because otherwise you could have, depending on how, where you go and how old your kids are and like how long they go, that you could have like a billion pieces of candy. And so what do so you do? So how are you structuring this market? Is it like, okay, this toy is like six pieces? Are, are all pieces worth the same or are there – So – Because I'll be interested to hear what they hand over. Yeah, I, I mean – I said, like, you could keep a couple pieces. And some people said, like, you three days, go for it for three days. That's what someone else told me. I think I might have them keep, like, a few pieces and then trade in the rest. And also made it sound, like, exciting, not like, I'm like, don't you – who wants a toy? And, like, me. I'm like, yeah, you know. (laughs) (laughs) And then, you know, you get to pick one candy to eat on the way to school. And they're like, yes. And that was, like, an hour of, like, negotiating and trading and deciding. And, like, you know, it was a whole – 
all both showed up to school with like chocolate all over their mouths. And I was like, let's get that chocolate off. So nobody <laughs> thinks I'm like a bad mom, like eating chocolate candy in the way to school in the car. It's making this sound like a needle exchange program. Like hand in your bad stuff. That's- we'll give you back other stuff that's less bad. I mean – that's what they I mean they basically like go to sleep like candy 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 and then they wake up like candy 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 like there's like no you know they're like why are we not talking about candy like why how how much this is the greatest day and this is the new reality where we're just going to talk about candy for, for forever I have to like I don't blame them get them back from that anyway so I think I'm just going to give them 10 bucks and they get to pick what they want and then I'm going to raid their Whoa. candy oh there you go that's pretty good that's my plan well, let me know what the going rate is for different pieces of candy and what the yeah, highest. Yeah, I can do it that way. It's just going to be like. Flat fee, flat, um, flat Yeah, rate. yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Yeah. Because I can't like. They can keep the healthy stuff that they give out in Tacoma Park. They can keep the pretzels and the like, you know, bubbles and the spider rings and all. They can keep all that stuff. And the dried strawberries, you know. Dried strawberries. Oh, yeah. It's, you know. <sighs> Decline Somebody- is a choice, people. <laughs> Decline is a choice. <laughs> For shame. I'm just kidding. Dried strawberries actually sounds good. But Dried strawberries are not great. for Halloween. My God. Becca was excited to open it and then he was like, you know, I think I'm going to go back to the bag. I'm not sure this is what I thought it was going to be. <laughs> yeah, it's good times. Um, okay. What did we learn this week? <sighs> okay. I'm dragging. Day after Halloween is a tough day. Okay. It's not just you folks. Lots of people are feeling worried about our democracy. Perhaps that's comforting. Qualitative sampling or writing, it's all important, folks. And you may have freedom of speech, but that doesn't mean the gender avenger isn't coming for you. Watch out, people. <laughs> you can find us on Twitter at, at the pollsters individually at, at Margie O'Mero and at K Soltis Anderson. We're on Facebook where we post links to all of the cool stories we find throughout the week that we might talk about on the upcoming show. And we're at www.thepolsters.com. Thanks. Bye.